So I have the great privilege of introducing our guest speaker today. His name is Justin. Come on up, Justin. Justin's my good uh, buddy from North Carolina. He's a pastor of a church in North Carolina called Love Chapel Hill. And he's in for a visit to enjoy some ice and uh, sub-freezing sub weather. It's not, it's not, he's not used to that. Um, so Justin is going to give us a message this morning. I, I know, I've known Justin for about... Uh, 12 years now, and he and I have been through a lot together and have know each other fairly well. And um, when, when, I, uh, when, when I, our Claire was in the hospital this last um, October, it was, uh, Justin emailed me and said, um, tell me when, I'm coming. I'm going to come preach for you. I'm going to give you some space to, to rejuvenate. And so um, he, Justin has a family. He's made a great sacrifice to leave them behind for 10 days and to come and be with me and support me and then to get to know you guys a little more and to, to support you and, and love you too. So, Justin, I'm uh, excited this morning that you're here and uh, thanks, Keith. turn it over to you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Good morning, Grassroots. All right, you guys are awake and at it. Grace and peace in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. So my name is Justin, and I do serve at a small expression of the kingdom called Love Chapel Hill. We're a, a church in the heart of downtown Chapel Hill, which is about 1,400 miles. I'm not good at conversion. Uh, 2,200-ish kilometers, maybe, um, south and east of here. So um, we're in a university town, and it's, it's the University of North Carolina. So our, our little expression there meets in a historic movie theater right in the heart of everything, right on our main street. And so we reach a lot of different folks, and um, everybody is, is welcome with us, whether they woke up literally outside the door on the street, um, or a student from the university, or coming from a local um, substance abuse recovery facility. There, there are lots of different folks who are a part of our community, and it's, it's a beautiful mix our name is our mission there, to love Chapel Hill, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We try to keep it simple. Um, so we say our name is our mission. And in that, my role is, is this role of an executive pastor, which what that means uh, on, a, on a regular basis, I may be the janitor, um, or I may be... Um, meeting with community leaders in the town, um, helping to form partnerships between the church and the community. It may mean I'm the bus mechanic, um, or it may mean that I'm preaching on occasion, but um, every day, all of what I do is, is about making sure that we are living out our mission, not just on Sundays, but every, every day of the week, asking the question, is this in our mission, and how are people encountering the love of Jesus? And so that's, that's part of my role and what I get to do at Love Chapel Hill. And I have, as Keith um, mentioned, I've actually been here once before. So any other second timers in the crowds? Uh, okay, I'm alone. Oh, all right, all right. I'll, Lone Ranger, maybe? Um, so, <laughs> um, but my first experience here at Grassroots really, really stuck with me. It was uh, an amazing encounter. And so I'd love to just, just take a couple of minutes and, and reflect on that with you, if, if you'll allow me, just to, to tell you what stuck with me about my first experience and my first encounter here uh, at Grassroots. So there's a word that comes to mind when I think of Grassroots. This word is explorer. 
You guys are explorers. I don't know if you feel that or experience that. But I was impacted by your deep searching of the scriptures and searching for God's leading in this community to be a relevant expression of the kingdom here in Thunder Bay. I love the ways that you're watching for the way that the Lord is leading. I picture this, this going into deep and remote places where people maybe haven't experienced the love of God before. And you want to experience maybe more of who God is. Taking it out to the wilderness, maybe an outpost for the kingdom, going into those remote places. But I also get the, the sense that, that you really care for one another. There's a great level of care within this community, within the body of grassroots, and that the church lives and moves and breathes really as one family, experiencing pain together, celebrating successes and milestones together, really as one big family. And I know you're not perfect because there are people here. Um, <laughs> it gets messy and that's okay because God uses messy people. Collectively, you are on a path that encounters and advances the kingdom coming in Thunder Bay as it is in heaven. If I could spur you on just a bit, just to encourage you and, and think about the way that this, this moves forward and continues to grow in a mighty way, I would say that every good explorer and every good expedition is more rich when you invite others into that journey with you to come along. So I would ask you, who are you inviting to explore with you? Who are you sharing your Jesus encounter with? Hear me in this. It's, this is not just about inviting people to grassroots. That's a good thing, and you should do that. But what about the people that maybe aren't even ready for that yet? Sometimes evangelism is, is this misconstrued idea of, of convincing someone of something or, or perhaps trying to get them to do something. But evangelism is simply sharing the good news that you have experienced, the good news that you have encountered. Most people who encounter Jesus for the first time don't do it within the doors of a church. It's because of the life of the believers and the followers that they experience in community. So who, who in your day, in your day-to-day -day life, outside of the grassroots community, could you invite just to share your own personal journey, to share in the discoveries of the exploration that you were on? Think about that as we go through the message today. It's a good season for it. Advent. This, what happened up here at the table was absolutely beautiful. That was like the most messy, chaotic thing. Um, and, uh, but it was a beautiful encounter. And so those kids coming and, and taking that experience with them is just a beautiful thing. But they'll remember that. The start of Advent. The beginning. So it's this se uh, season of four Sundays leading up to Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus. 
We're going to be working through the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. So if you have a Bible and want to go ahead and turn over there, or if you're using your Bible app, go ahead and, and get to Luke, chapter 1. We're going to go through verse 38 today. As you do, this, this season of Advent, it means coming. Coming. By its very nature, the series of weeks leading up to something it, it lends itself to, to anticipation and this building and this growing. But it's a season of waiting. And I think of, of waiting as a child every year. Uh, my brothers and I, in anticipation of our, our family vacation, it's like this one week every summer that, that we would go to the beach. We'd go to the coast of North Carolina, get to stick our toes in the Atlantic just for a few days out of the year. And we knew our parents had saved up all year for this. It was like the one, one vacation we got to take. A month in advance, we'd start packing our sand toys to go play at the beach. And we'd start packing our suitcase and thinking of the kite that we might need or um, any, any of those, those things that we would need along the way. We would pack well in advance. As we got closer and closer, the anticipation just grew and grew until the night before, we were so excited we absolutely could not sleep. And in the event that we fell asleep, we were already wearing the clothes we needed to get in the car in the wee hours and start the drive. The anticipation for us as kids just was, was so great. And I think about how Christmas gifts in the same way drive us toward anticipation. Kids see packages under the tree and they know they can't open them until Christmas Day. What are we doing to them? We ha they have to wait. We're teaching this waiting but it's this anticipation that is this season of Advent, and it reminds us of the waiting that, that Jesus was born into. And so we're going to talk about that anticipation that this announcement today in Luke 1 comes into. Our season is, is four weeks long, but we recognize that there is a much, much longer waiting that goes before, that this announcement of the coming of the Lord would be in. There's this type of waiting of, of excitement, like a vacation or, or uh, opening a gift that we think about, but there is, there's also this type of waiting, there's a long, long waiting. We wait, and we wait, and we wait, until maybe we're more likely to give up than we are to be in eager anticipation. The weight that we're going to see broken by the announcement in today's text transcends time. It lasts going back to the last prophets speaking the word of the Lord to the people. It goes back to the Lord's presence departing from the, the temple and the Babylonian exile, the temple being destroyed the days of the fractured kingdom of Israel when they were separated to the times when they were wandering in the desert for this long, long season and as days as slaves in Egypt all the way back to Adam and Eve being banished from the garden. This waiting is for a reconciled relationship with God, a way for that to happen, that restoration and wholeness would be possible and that he would be that good and righteous king on the throne. Again, his presence among them. 
So let's get into that announcement as it breaks in this long waiting. Luke chapter 1. In his opening lines of the gospel, Luke, Luke is telling us his purpose in writing. He's telling us as someone who was not himself an eyewitness to Jesus, but later we see in Acts, he was someone who was impacted by the disciples' ministry. And he takes on this, this researching and this looking and investigating all the things that he has seen and he has heard to search them out, to see, is this real? Is this true? And because he puts so much into it, exploring and finding, finding this truth for himself, he thought, I better write it down. <laughs> I want to write it down and then share it. Specifically, he addresses it to Theophilus, who is, who is likely someone of stature in the Roman world. And he's writing it to give certainty to someone, particularly a Gentile or an outsider, who is searching or curious about what he's heard about Jesus. So let's pick up and read where he begins to share his exploration in verse 5 through 10. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth, who also was a descendant of Aaron, both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the, when the time came for the burning of incense, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he gives us some indication of time frame. He tells us in the time of King Herod. This indicator of when we're talking about it. As Keith mentioned over the past couple of weeks, there, there are a couple Herods here that we're working through. So this is talking about Herod the Great, who would be responsible for the killing of all the male children in Israel when he learned a king had been born. And the father of Herod Antipas who you'll remember was responsible for killing John the Baptist and ultimately calls for Jesus to be put to death. So also as an indicator of time and context, we find this priest, Zechariah, whose priestly division has been called to serve in the temple of Jerusalem. There were 24 different divisions of priests. They worked for two weeks a year at the temple in Jerusalem, but not consecutive weeks. So about six months apart. They would make these journeys to Jerusalem. And so Luke takes great care to, to let us know that, that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were of the priestly line of Aaron. He establishes this heritage, and he certainly lets us know that any child would be a purebred priest, but they had no children. And both of them were righteous, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. This isn't a headline that we're seeing much in the news these days, of someone living blamelessly, following all of the commands and decrees, righteous. It's quite the opposite, isn't it? 
what would this look like to us? What would it look like if this is what was making the news? Who could you say this of that is righteous and blameless? Would it ever be said of you? Would it ever be said of me? If there was ever a target to aim for, <laughs> this is it. This is the one. The standards that they are living by much like in their day today, it would look so different than the culture we find ourselves in, the normal life around us. And Zechariah is chosen by Lot to make the incense offering. Friday, as I was flying up, um, I had the opportunity to be randomly selected twice, <laughs> going through airport security. The first, they wanted to inspect my electronics, so they did. And the second one, this was coming across the Canadian border. Um, <laughs> they said, would you prefer a physical pat-down or a hand swab? Like, Given the choice of the two, um, <laughs> here's my hand. <laughs> I was randomly selected. I think, of, I think of this selection by lot, like your lucky number being drawn. I felt like my lucky number was drawn twice in one day. But that, that number being drawn for Zechariah to serve as the priest before God. There were a lot of priests in, in these divisions, and they were only there for two weeks out of the year. So it was very, very rare. It's a big deal for Zechariah to be called up, to be the one who is going to enter the holy place. He's going to make this offering of incense. And it's a practice that dates back to the tabernacle in the desert. This offering of incense, like a fragrant offering going up before the Lord, carrying the prayers of the people. In Psalm 141, David says to the Lord, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And God describes later on incense, not incense, but the prayers of the righteous are a pleasing aroma. So here, Zechariah is walking to the altar of incense. It's all the way up inside the holy place at the veil inside the temple, the veil that separates the holy of holies, the same veil that would be torn when Jesus dies and this barrier is broken between us and God that entered into the world at the time that sin entered in. And so Zechariah has got to be full of anticipation and excitement that this is his job. He gets to do this. This is his time to serve before the Lord. He's standing right in front of the place where the glory of the Lord would dwell, offering this incense and prayers for the Lord's return. And in the midst of this mighty moment, when he is burning the incense on the altar, an angel of the Lord appears by the altar. I don't know about you, but I've not had that encounter yet. What, what must that have felt like to just have an angel appear before you? I think, um, yeah, I don't know what my response would be. But I can picture Zachariah's eyes just getting bigger 
and bigger as the angel begins to speak. In verses 13 through 17, we see what the angel has to say. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So an angel appears, and I love when an angel appears in scripture. They say, do not be afraid. What exactly is the right response when you see an angel? Like, seriously, guys, I'm scared to death. What do you think? I am, of course I'm afraid. Do not be afraid, he says. The angel tells Zechariah that he's going to have a son. And in doing so, he announces the coming of the Lord. So Zechariah finds out that in this waiting, this, this waiting in anticipation of serving in the temple, that this larger, longer waiting is about to be broken, that there is a coming. How does he know that? So Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are of the priestly line of Aaron. Of course, their son would be also. But in this, in this passage, the angel says something very peculiar. It says, but to be of the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn hearts of the father, of fathers to their children and disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, is a fulfillment of the last spoken prophecy of the Old Testament and the prophet Malachi. Over 400 years before, Malachi spoke these words. Malachi chapter four, verses five and six says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. These same words that the angel speaks to Zechariah, he spoke to the prophet Malachi 400 plus years before. But Zechariah being a priest, he knows that. He knows those words. They are very, very familiar. I love over the past couple of weeks, as, as Keith has said, the, the ministry of Jesus cannot be disconnected from the ministry of John. Leading the people to a place of repentance. Jesus himself says that Elijah is to come first. And for those who are willing to accept it, John was Elijah. Back in verse 13, the angel tells Zechariah that his prayers have been heard. On the surface, it seems like he is, is talking specifically about, about his prayer for a child. And it absolutely is. But at the same time and on a more cosmic scale, prayer is being answered. 
is prayer for the coming of the Lord. God hears our human prayers, our personal prayers, which is outlandish to even consider that the creator of all the universe would hear our cries, that he would know our needs and our desires even before we speak them. But there's also a greater story that we are a part of. There's a greater narrative at work in answering Zechariah's prayer for a child. He answers his prayer and the prayers of all the priests who have gone before him for the return of the Lord to be at hand. What can possibly be more exciting than standing there and getting this announcement of the coming of the Lord that your own son would be the one preparing the way that John the Baptist, John will be your son. He is the one. How about the announcement that you yourself are going to carry the Lord as your child? The next portion of this passage is really the announcement to Mary. The angel of the Lord appears to Mary. And so... So he says that that this is going to be the, that you are the one chosen to give birth to the, the son of the most high, to assume the throne of the great King David. That's what this, this second half of the passage is. This Lord, the Lord appears to a girl named Mary. In verse 26, I'm just going to pick up and read from there. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, as we all would be, (laughs) at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel has just given Mary the news that no one could ever imagine receiving. Again, being found in favor with God like Zachariah and Elizabeth. How awesome this is to be living a life pleasing to God. But he goes on to tell Mary that she would miraculously conceive a child who would be the king to reign on David's throne. Now to talk about David... To refer to David is like referring to what we might know as the good old days. David David was the king among kings of Israel. He conquered, he protected, the people flourished. Having been a people divided at this point and exiled, now under Roman occupation, certainly people longed for the days of David. But the angel told Mary her son would not only assume that throne, 
but he would reign forever. How could this be? This is crazy, crazy news that Mary is getting. And in the face of it, I love her response. How will this be? Not to say, this can't happen, Lord, but to say, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it, Lord? Since there are some practical things that usually go into having a baby, um, that hasn't happened yet, so how is this going to happen for me? <laughs> and so giving, giving assurance and confirmation that the impossible is possible, that nothing is impossible with God. The angel tells Mary of her cousin's, her cousin Elizabeth's coming child. This old woman who is going to give birth to the one who will come before. Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Hope has broken into this long waiting space and has taken root in the heart of Zechariah and is now growing in the wombs of Elizabeth and Mary. If your home group is looking for a fun conversation, we don't have time to get into it, but compare, take a look deeper into this. Compare Zechariah's response and Mary's response. Take a look at how they differ and how that plays out for them. But in both of these accounts today, the recipient is quite an unlikely person to be a part of God's plan of restoration and reconciliation and redemption. Lowly, humble people that are not people you expect to make the history books. In both cases, they are people who found favor with God, living righteous, obedient, faithful, and blameless lives. You and I are unlikely characters in that plan as well. But in the kingdom, the unlikely are perhaps the most likely. God has called us here to this time and this place for a purpose. So as you come to this, this table each week, you enter into this mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, risen and Christ will come again. We're reminded of this period of long, long waiting for the coming of Jesus. He has overcome the grave and he has turned the world upside down for those who have encountered him. And yet we still find ourselves in a broken world with the powers of oppression and evil all around us. We're in this season of the already, but not yet. We're between the risen and the coming again part, where the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of those who have surrendered their lives to Christ. And now the church, grassroots as one of the many tangible expressions of Jesus' presence in the world. Our faith leads us to action and respond to God's goodness with good works. Extending the reaches of the kingdom 
to the neighbors and the community around us. Inviting people to journey with us. And at the same time, we keep an eye on the sky, eagerly anticipating his coming again. It can seem this waiting will never end. And this is where we can relate to those, to those who have waited through generations of exile and oppression. But let us be found waiting expectedly, righteous and obedient, fully surrendered to the will of the Lord. As we enter this season of Advent, let us remember the way of his first coming and all that he has done. But let us also remember that this is not the end. As we watch and we search, inviting others to explore with us and wait for his coming again. You are invited to come here to this table. It has been set for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.